that graced the beginning of his first letter and plunges directly into the core issues at hand. Was there an urgency pressing upon him, compelling him to warn his recipients about the false teachers among them? Probably. But the Apostle begins this letter by providing comfort to the believers, assuring them of their divine calling and election, and emphasizing the unshakable certainty of God's prophetic word. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, September 13th. You're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. As always, I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. And as always, many thanks to God for our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about them at lhfmissions.org. Without any further ado, I think we should head right into the text. My guest this morning to help us open up Second Peter is the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, regular contributor, but also a pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Good morning, Pastor Dieterding. How has God been treating you lately? Good morning. Actually, really good. So <laughs> we've good. Uh, we've just enjoyed. Uh, uh, all kinds of uh, time that we got to spend this summer on a sabbatical, my wife and I, and then uh, coming back here, had a SMP student who is starting from our campus here, who's uh, working for a specific ministry uh, of an OASIS program that we're doing here in southwest Florida, uh, reaching out to the community uh, through worship, and uh, he's being trained now um, through Concordia Seminary there in St. Louis, to become an SMP pastor here on our campus. So, yeah, things are going very well and uh, just really enjoying all the opportunities that our, our Lord's giving us here. Well, we've missed you being on the show, but I'm glad that the Lord has blessed you with that sabbatical. Um, can, can you share with us where you went or how that went or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. That's no secret, that's for sure. Um, actually, I. Uh, had uh, created a blog that I posted uh, pictures and a lot of information on every single day that I was out there. Uh, one, I was uh, in Germany, uh, got to uh, be part of the Wittenberg English Ministry there for a couple of weeks at the beginning of June. Uh, we, we enjoyed the time that we had uh, celebrating Luther and Katie's uh, wedding. Uh, they have a big festival there every year at that oh, time, yeah. and we were part of that this year. And then from there, we just made our way down from Wittenberg over to Frankfurt, all the way down, and just stopping uh, to visit various uh, sites where Luther and Katie both have had an impact, uh, both before they were married and after they were married. And my wife and I really enjoyed getting to know them in their relationship as husband and wife uh, a little better, and uh, really uh, uh, gave us some insights we'd not had before. And then we went to, uh, for the second half of the sabbatical, we went over to Romania. In Romania, there's new uh, mission congregations that have begun. Uh, those men have been trained, a lot of them, through uh, the professors in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, one is actually serving as what they call now a national missionary. That means that he was trained and ordained in our Lutheran Church body and sent as a missionary by the LCMS to serve as a national missionary where he was born, raised, and grew up. So, uh, and, and that's uh, Reverend Dr. Sorin Prifa. He serves in uh, Broshov uh, as a uh, pastor of a church there that he himself had started. And there are three active, uh, very active missions, a fourth one just starting up, actually, 
um, where they're trying to pull together these Lutheran churches into a confessional body called the Confessional Lutheran Church of Romania, which may change, too, in, in the future. But it was a great opportunity for my wife and I to actually go and watch what's going on as a new church, you know, in a new country, yeah. is is growing. It's just It was just wonderful to be a part of that. Yeah, you never know. It's like being at the beginning of uh, any, you know, future large, impactful church body. You, you just know, you know, you have no idea what the Lord is going to do with them. I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over my words, but yeah, what a <laughs> what a great experience you guys had. That I'm a little envious, I have to admit, but I'd love to go over <laughs> to at least Lutherland one of these days. Uh, but what a, I just, I hope that you, that God blessed you through that and you've returned, re-energized and refreshed for ministry. I know you have excellent pastor down oh, there. Um, I don't want to belabor it, but just uh, how are, how's the recovery going? I haven't asked you about that in a little while. How's the recovery going for Fort Myers since the big... Very hurricane? slow. <laughs> Very oh, slow, slow for okay. our friends on Fort Myers Beach. That's That was the place that was hit really the hardest. Uh, a lot of work still on Sanibel. Uh, of course, we have at, we've had Adelia now uh, come through, and it just you know, caught a little bit of the. We caught a little bit of that, uh, so there's a little bit of flooding again. You know, because the, it, it, these hurricanes push that water in. It surges on both sides, just like it's doing over with Lee. You're seeing that there's a surge, even though Lee's not going to do a landfall over there on the Atlantic. It's still pushing that water up, and it and it causes a lot of trouble uh, when these come through. So, but this, yeah, we're still recovering from Ian, which uh, was wow. on the 28th of September last year, and uh, yeah, what's gonna it's it this one's gonna have repercussions for years yet. I mean, it's gonna take a while before there's a lot of rebuilding all the way back. So. Well, it I don't mean never to keep be the same either. I don't mean to keep belaboring it, but you know, it's like it drops from the news so fast in the cycle, and there's still people down there suffering and continuing to need our prayers. So that's why I like to bring it up at least every now and then. So I'm mm-hmm. uh, glad you guys are down there. I tell you what, we do have a you know First Peter to a Second Peter to open up the first chapter. Um, before we do that, as always, I'd like to invite you to lead us in some prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Almighty God, we call you mighty because indeed you are the one who has the power to change lives through the power of your word. And we approach that word today as you approach us with that word, that we might uh, truly learn and and grow more in the faith that you have given to us as a gift, uh, a faith that uh, truly clings to all the promises that you give us. And we'll hear that again today as we hear your word speak to us from Second Peter. We ask also that you would continue to bless the people, not just here in southwest Florida with recovery uh, from hurricanes Ian and Adelia, but we pray for all the things that are going on in our world today, all the different natural disasters from earthquakes in Morocco uh, to fires all over. It's, it's just, And now the floods that we hear in, in, uh, in Africa, we pray that you would be with all these people, with all those who are reaching out, that they might truly be touched with the care and the compassion of Christ Jesus, and that many more will come to know that you are the God who truly protects, the God who continues to embrace uh, the people, uh, his creation, that they might all come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Be with us in our study. Help us to grow always that we might share that gospel with others. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we've been covering 1 Peter, all five chapters. Now we're heading into 2 Peter, which is only three chapters. Of course, the chapters are something that were added much later. These are just wonderfully inspired right. messages, um, letters from the saint. I tell you what, um, maybe just catch us up a little bit about who Peter is and, and anything else we need to know in case people are just tuning in now for Peter. Yeah, so uh, this is Peter the Apostle, uh, the one who uh, was a follower of Christ and actually called by Christ to be one of the apostles. And uh, and he's got quite a history, and all the way through, not just from when Christ met him as a fisherman all the way uh, to when he becomes a very powerful apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ after Christ's ascension, uh, and now um, is speaking to the topic, at least in the second letter, he's speaking to the topic of... Uh, faith and works and how we live out our Christian life uh, uh, together and actually how we live out our Christian life in the face of turning from all that was evil and wicked to now uh, continually turning to God and His power and His and His work through His Word and through uh, through His Spirit uh, in our lives. And so that's that's where we should be heading today in this very first chapter. Excellent. Well, why don't we just head into it, because I think we have a lot to uncover, um, starting at the very beginning of the letter. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, from the English Standard Version. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so I'm ending right there with uh, verse 11. So, brother, I, as I look at this, I thinking back to my days as uh, you know a young man growing up sort of in the Baptist church and those sorts of traditions and there's a lot in here that could be mm, misunderstood let's use that word misunderstood mm -hmm. to seem that we have to contribute in some way to our well our election which and our calling so maybe we should unpack this for people and let them know exactly what it really means so, yeah, I mean, starting there at the very beginning here, I mean, 
you know, it's Peter's introduction of himself that, you know, gets things off the ground. But then he goes right into uh, talking about the divine power that's been given to us and the knowledge that we have um, and and how we have received these great promises from him and that, you know, we have now moved from corruption in this world to uh, now being God's people. And what does that look like? And then he goes into listing that, starting in verse five. And I'm just giving you kind of an overall summary as I'm as I'm looking through this. And sure. you know, he gives us this list of um, of, of things that surely uh, show and uh, reveal our faith, which is kind of interesting because I mean, if if you didn't know better, uh, you would think that Paul helped him with this part because Paul always puts lists in his writings, and so here's a list. Um, of, of virtues and qualities, uh, and also talking about, you know, how it's all at- attached to our knowledge uh, that we have of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the key. That's the key here that makes uh, the difference between some of the denominations you were just mentioning as far as how they see election and how they see uh, the faith in comparison to how we see it. Um, is because if you listen and watch all the way through here, everything is based on God's work and all that we've received through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though I make, you know, it sounds as though we're to make the effort, uh, you don't really see that what he's describing as good works connected with the salvation that's been received as a gift. Right, exactly. I mean, there is something to be said about the fact that we obviously seek to do the Lord's will. We want to confirm our calling in the sense that, you know, well, as as Peter would have said, right, good works are a, a token of our of our salvation. They they are sort of a proof even of our salvation. People are looking for blessed assurance out there. Well, the assurance, part of the assurance you get is that if you feel bad for your sins, you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. If you desire to serve the Lord and others, well, then you're being motivated by the Holy Spirit, and those are signs, of course, that God is with you. Mm-hmm. And I think I think key a key verse right, right away, as he gets right into that whole topic on the calling and the election, he, he says right there in verse 3 that his power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of him. Now, here's the key of him who called us right. to his own glory and excellence. It's it's on him that we even have this calling and this election to begin with. And then and then that he has granted to us the precious and very great promises. So if you if you're paying attention as you're reading through this, you see that everything that we have that's godly, righteous promises, they're all from him. They're all from him. And he's the reason, and his power is what continues to move us to now want to live this life that that we have because of all the gifts and the graciousness and all of his power that has brought us these wonderful things, uh, which is especially this faith, this knowledge that we have, that we have of Christ Jesus as both Lord and God. Um, you know, I, I, it was interesting. I I had read this I don't know how many times in uh, the very first part when when uh, Peter is actually introducing this particular epistle, but he he 
says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A lot of, a lot of times in our minds, we separate those two, God and, 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 and Jesus Christ. And here, it, it's implying that Jesus Christ is God. We're talking about he's our God and our Savior. And then it's interesting in the next verse, in verse 2, same thing. You know, he says, may the grace peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And here we got a recognition of Jesus as Lord, as God again. So uh, this is all from God. And I don't know how you cannot read that into this text, that that the work of salvation, the work of election, the work of calling is all God's work, whereas he's telling us this is what this calling produces. This is the fruit. This is what comes out of it. And uh, with that in mind, you know, if you, because that agrees with the context of the Scripture as a whole, with that in mind, uh, I don't know how you could read that that any other way, that, that somehow we have some kind of control or some kind of uh, power over whether or not we're elected or that we're called. Sure. Well, and another thing, too, not quite related to that, but you, you touched on it, is back at the greeting, which is a little shorter than the first uh, letter, as I mentioned, but it says, of course, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, right, one person, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ or Jesus our Lord, which kind of almost separates the two. But then in verse 3, he says, his divine power. So he's you can see him almost not wrestling with because it's inspired, but you can see how even by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the language is hard to describe the true nature of God in his triune but singular form. Um, but as you said, you know, he, this is all coming from God. I and you agree that Peter is extremely clear. But then, of course, that brings us to verse 5. For this very reason, i.e., what God has done for you, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So I think what's right. at focus here is the make every effort, so that's a work, to supplement your faith, that is, add something to your faith, and then, of course, the things. So I think that's how it can be misunderstood and misinterpreted, that you know God's given you faith, but now you have to supplement that faith with good works, virtue, knowledge, self-control. Now, now that's true, actually. I mean, obviously, it's true because Peter says it, but it's true in the sense that um, we think of Ephesians, right? Ephesians 2, mm -hmm. 8 through right. 10, right? We're saved, but but we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which we were, which was prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I think that we Lutherans sometimes underplay the reality that good works are required of Christians. And I'll say it again, good works are required, of course, not for salvation, but it's just how you live as a Christian that flows from that. Yeah, well said. Very well said. And I think what, I, another thing I kind of picked up on when you were talking about that is in verse 5, it's interesting um, because that's really the hinge, uh, the beginning of verse 5, for this very reason. So here he's laid out the reason right, in verses exactly. you know, 3 and 4. And, and the, the, the reason is he did all of this in our life, and because he has done this, and this is where it will lead you to to actually live out your faith in these virtues and in all these um, qualities that, that are connected to the very calling that you have, to the very 
knowledge that you have of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, and so virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, these types of virtues, um, this excellence of character that's being described here, it, I think it reminds us that faith, saving faith, as even St. James would argue, is not just about, you know, hey, I get to go to heaven, you know, and of course we're going to talk about, I think in a couple of episodes about how heaven's not the end of the world. Uh, heaven's great, but it's not the end of the world. We have the resurrection, new heavens, and new earth, but it's not just about getting saved. It's really a transformation of your life. And one way I like to phrase it to people and see if you uh, agree or disagree, but oftentimes, even when we are doing our good works, we want credit for them, of course, but but our good works feel like it's stuff that we're just choosing to do all on our own. I don't necessarily think yeah. we always feel the motivation. So you say, well, I'm the one who decided to come to church today and sit in the pews, or I'm the one that decided to help out the person who needed help, or I'm the one who decided to blah, blah, blah. Well, that self-control, knowledge, all that kind of stuff, we know that it flows from faith, but there's just this reality that it sure feels like we're doing something. And that's okay. That's okay. Hmm. I mean, if I were to blindfold everybody in a room and the lights were on or off and they don't know if they're on or off and they were all to say, well, it's dark, so they must be off. It doesn't change the reality that the lights were on, meaning their experience, though they feel it one way, doesn't necessarily match the reality. And that's how I've always seen good works. God is the one who motivates us in them. He compels us to do them. Our faith, um, provides us with that compulsion to do them. I really genuinely believe that believers will want to serve others. They'll want to be in church. They'll want to be in the God's word. Not that we do any of those things perfectly, but it sure feels like we're the ones choosing to be Christians, choosing Christ and all that sort of thing. All right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, as we read further, you know, as we get into the next verses after that list too, I mean, you get there, uh, in verse verse eight, and he's talking about all the qualities and so forth. Again, um, these are yours, you know, and they're the ones that keep you from being ineffective. It creates the fruit, you know, that uh, comes with living out your faith. Um, but I, I think people may get tripped up when they when they see that verse ten. You know, you get to verse ten, it says, "Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure." as though it's not totally mm-hmm. sure yet, as though, because you just listed all of these these uh, qualities and all of these things that we do now as a result of what God has done. So now it looks like maybe I, I do need to do something because it's asking me to be diligent. For if you practice these qualities, now there you go again, see? You will never fall. All of a sudden it seems like, and I can see where people... Uh, we'll take this and and understand it in a way that oh it's back on us here that's what this is saying and it it can be it can be further from the truth you know you've got uh, you've got to read on because it says in eleven for in this way there will be uh, will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and it's like well there it is see All I right. do actually participate in order to make my calling sure to make my election sure so. So, the, so I can see why people would, would question this. But if you go back to the context, you'll see that, that none of this was from you to begin with. Right. Um, and that's not what's being asked here. It's, 
it, if nothing else, it would actually be looking at where you are in your life and are you truly, is it a reflection of what you're doing and truly a reflection that you are one who truly has this knowledge, truly has uh, this calling that God has given you? See, and that reminds me that Peter is really speaking very practically, right? He, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that he's trying to appease all the nuances that we Lutherans love to uh debate over, let's say. He's just saying, listen, if you're out there focusing on what God wants you to do, doing those good things, striving to do, um, be virtuous and self-controlled, etc., if you're out there, um, you're going to have your election confirmed, right? It's going to show you that you're that, that the Lord is with you. But, but practically speaking, if you're out there striving to live for God, you're going to have less time <laughs> to be sinful, to be um, to be rebellious. Um, doesn't mean we're without sin. It certainly doesn't mean that we our virtues save us, and it doesn't mean that we'll, you know, absolutely never stumble no matter what. I think what he's saying, very practically speaking, is if you're practicing these qualities, you know, if you're in the middle of of praying or reading the Bible or helping your neighbor or you're concerned with those things, yeah, you're not going to have really time to fall. Now, again. It's not an absolute. We have to read Peter in his whole context, including his first letter. But yeah, I completely agree with you. I think people get really tripped up with this. And that comes that, well, let me ask you, where do you think that comes from? I mean, is it, is it our natural desire to just be in control of our lives or something less or more? Yeah, that is a good question. You know, I haven't really, I haven't really thought through that. I've not ever thought in those terms of, you know, contributing somehow to my entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord, as it says here. Uh, you know, I've never thought in that term because I know that everything that amounts to good, as far as any qualities I have, any knowledge that I have, is not from me. Uh, and and I, and it's not because I'm so wise and I figured that out. It's because um, the Holy Spirit has touched my heart and my mind and my heart and, and my being in such a way as I know that to be the truth, because His truth is what is placed in front of us here. And because of that, um, I know that when uh, Peter's talking like this, I don't connect to, uh, I don't connect diligence and uh, making sure that you know my election is sure with. Uh, my own strength or ability, my mind automatically shifts to, um, well, I'm only able to do this because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And just like you said, you don't want to place yourself in situations where you can be tempted and uh, evil can take the upper hand. Um, I mean, that's about all we can do uh, if we're going to do anything. But we can't do the works that's going to get us into the uh, eternal kingdom of heaven. This is all on God. The call, the knowledge... Um, even the good works that we do. You you had uh, actually just mentioned Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, and you, in there you know that God has prepared all of these works that we do that are good in His sight, um, even in advance that we didn't even, that we know, we know nothing of, and He knows all because He's the one, again, uh, this is a God of uh, of calling, of, of giving us the knowledge of election. Uh, it's all His power by which we are able to even live as as people of God. So I think when he's saying this and being you know being diligent and being sure um is hold on to the faith, you know, just ask that God would continue to strengthen the faith that does this very thing. 
Well, I completely agree, and we're going to talk more about that when we come back from our break. So, folks, don't go anywhere. We will see you on the other side of these messages. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Dear saints, thank you so much for taking the time to be in God's Word with us this morning, or I guess whenever you're listening, since you can listen as a podcast or online at kfuo.org or using the radio app. Remember, if you have any questions or comments about the show or you want to send a message to my guest, you can reach out to me by email at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Well, Pastor Dieter Ding, before the break, we were just getting, uh, well, to the end of this section. I, I wanted to add, you know, you talked about how, well, when you reflect on these um, these things, you're, to your mind, you, you go straight to the, the works of Christ, and you know that these things are all done for you through Christ. I, th I think that's true. I think it's a reflection of your spiritual maturity. I also think it's true that there are plenty of people out there, even among our parishioners, who are struggling to try to keep the law to please God um, for salvation. I, I don't think they express them in those words, but I think their their frustration, their their terror over sin, their desperation sometimes will reveal that. And there are plenty of people who aren't in the Lutheran tradition for whom they're being taught this uh, from their pulpits, that they have to contribute to the salvation that, that uh, Christ has freely given us. So I think it's a struggle. At the same time, I also think it's true that we in the Lutheran Church have maybe overemphasized this. Uh, we've fallen almost into the other side of the, uh, the ditch, you know, because we focus so much that you can't work your way into heaven. I think we also neglect to teach the truth about how, well, salvation should come with these supplemental virtues and knowledge and steadfastness and godliness. Um, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, what would you expect, you know, from uh, a faith that has been God-given other than living out life according to the qualities that he's mentioning here? Um, and it's also interesting, you know, because I, I, again, I'm, as as you're talking about all this, you know, you you say, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Dieter, you're you're uh, mature in the faith, and you know, you you really got a good handle on this. Well, 
it's it's only because again of the work of God. And what's kind of interesting is as I read uh, forward here, um, Peter's basically saying all of these things because then you got verse twelve says therefore now that I've shared all of this with you, therefore here's the reason I'm doing that because yeah why don't I, we add those verses intention. real quick yeah why don't we yeah, add them so it's twelve through fifteen just real quick. Therefore, oh, that's right. I we am, haven't read them yet. Sorry. About that. No. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> yeah, I, just I intend. That. That's right. <laughs> I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter is, is, it's been revealed to him. He's convinced that, of course, his time is short. And he just, yeah, as you said, he, he's reflecting on exactly why he's te- teaching these things. That's the, in fact, it's why we all do it as pastors and as fellow Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but uh, what stood out for me is in three of the four verses here that you just read, is um, that that word reminder or remember or to recall? You know, he uses those words to say, "This was my. This is my intention. This is why I'm telling you this. This is why this is so important." Because uh, his intention is to always remind them, always remind them of these qualities. Uh, and he and he goes on to say that he knows he knows they're, they're spiritually mature too, right? He goes, though you already know them and you've established them in the truth that you have. You know, he he realizes that he knows he's he's speaking to the choir here. And he but then he goes right on to say, you know, after he mentions that he knows that uh, he's going to be with his Lord soon, uh, away from the the world, that he's going to continue to make every effort to make sure that at any time he can do that um, to help us to recall. Uh, what this new life in Christ looks like, what uh, the importance of having these particular qualities in your calling and your knowledge of Christ as uh, front and center of everything that you do and say. So um, he's constantly just being an encourager is what he's saying that he's going to do as they move forward. And in the following verses, which I'm getting ready to read right now, I think he makes it very clear about the source of these things. Uh, we'll be reading 16 through 21, which finishes up our text for this morning. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Some pretty well-known, famous verses there at the end of our chapter, but starting back at the top, you know, we weren't just making this up as we go or pulling from cleverly devised myths, he says. Um, Where did this message come from, according to Peter? Well, 
as you read on there, it says it's been made known to you by the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus. Um, you know, that it's all on God, that he is the one who has uh, brought us this, these promises that were fulfilled both uh, by Christ and his coming, and then also pointing to the promises that are coming yet, you know, and we're, we're getting a, a picture of that uh, in these words at Christ's glory, you know, we're, we're waiting for that, that time, that day uh, when um, he's going to come and return, you know, this majestic glory, we, 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 we get this, this picture, and anytime you have language like holy mountain and, and, and things of that nature, you know, or as, as the day dawns, you know, we, it's all pointing to the t- day and the time when Christ our Lord will return and come back in all his gr- glory. And so the word that he's giving us going forward here is a prophecy about what is yet to come. Uh, things that really the people that are reading this, uh, the Christians that uh, he's writing to, know uh, all of this pretty much. But again, He's telling them all these things as a reminder to help them recall that they will not forget. Now it's etched down. You know, it's etched down into uh, the Word. And, of course, we know that even this Word uh, was uh, inspired fully by the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we get those uh, those famous verses at the end of this section uh, about how this Word that Peter writes and, and all the apostles throughout the New Testament, as they write, is all from God, and it is absolutely His truth given to us about our relationship with Him and how to live our life. And Peter's about the business of doing that here in this chapter. Now, so we see here, too, I think he's building up to a larger argument, unfortunately one we're not going to necessarily, well, we're not going to really get to today at all, and that is he's trying to set up that he, and of course the other apostles, are not um making this up as some of his opponents are also accusing him of right so he has some opponents there's also the greco-roman beliefs out there that that's you know sort of being synchronized with christianity at the same time you know our very next chapter begins with the word but right but false prophets also arose among the people and even though we won't be covering that today we see here right. that he's setting himself up in contrast to the false prophets he's going to talk about um, and I also noticed that he takes us back to transfiguration. You talked about the holy mountain, but those are similar words to what we heard at Jesus' baptism, too. So Peter is establishing that Christ is indeed from God, and that can only lead me to believe that there were people in his midst who were saying the opposite. So, you know, just like when we talk about creeds, right, we have creeds that, um, like the Athanasian Creed and the Apostles' Creed, and the uh, Nicene Creed. These creeds were established to um, defend against new and erroneous ideas that were coming in. Well, kind of like that, it looks like that's what Peter's doing. He's defending against some of these false ideas that were out and surrounding their, their culture, and it's really easy for them to pick up on those. We see that today. We see people in our churches mm-hmm. pick up on the false beliefs of the world. Um, Sometimes they're really obvious, like the belief that when people die, they go to heaven and become angels, obviously a false belief. Right, Um, right. Some of them are a little more nefarious, too. So I think that uh, we see Peter trying his best as he's about to depart this world to make sure that he can stand before the Lord and say, yes, I absolutely fulfilled the calling that you gave me to teach the people. Yeah. 
and and I think another I think another thing that he that he uh, puts out in front here is that uh, we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. We, you know, these are the people that actually uh, walked alongside of Christ uh, in His ministry as He was here in this world. Um, another thing I think sometimes we have a tendency to forget is that when we look at any of the writings of the New Testament, be it the Gospels, be it the letters of, of Paul, letter of Peter, all of these writings um, were still in progress. They were still in the works. And so, you know, a lot of uh, the coming to the faith were the words of God coming through uh, the eyewitness accounts orally, you know, through to a lot of these folks that had not had the access to all these words like that, which is which Peter is, is writing here. You know, he's, he's writing to a, a certain group of people, and then you have uh, Paul writing to the different cities and the Christian churches there, and, you know, you have the Gospels that have come out. You've got Luke that's writing uh, the story of the apostles now as they are moving forward into New Testament era. And so a lot of times I think we might forget that the people at that time uh, did not have uh, the gift of what we have today, and that is the entire New Testament, the, the entire Word of God as it speaks to us. Now, they had the Lord Jesus right there. They had God in Christ right there speaking His Word directly to them. Um, but as soon as Christ had ascended, uh, now it was on them to bring that Word to bear through the power, of course, and the work of God and the Spirit that had already been at work in their lives um, you know, in Christ and then on into uh, the Holy Spirit uh, in the special gifts that he gives to them at the day of Pentecost. So, I mean, when you look at this all in the context of the people at that time, uh, the, the eyewitness accounts of what was go- what had gone on and what Jesus was all about was, was very much uh, a necessity for the people to come to faith. In verse 19, he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Is that what he's talking about, this idea that Christ has come and he's fulfilled the uh, prophecies of old, and now, of course, he's in the process of, or the Holy Spirit's in the process of putting together more sacred writings? And so is that what he's referring to when he says more fully confirmed or more reliable, the prophetic word, however we want to translate it? Yeah, I think I think um, in in a sense, you know, he's talking about all of the word, not just the word that's being written here in the New Testament, or even mm-hmm. in just right. his own personal eyewitness account, but all of the word, the, the whole of the Old Testament, which pointed to the promises that were fulfilled in Christ, and then even the promises in the Old Testament pointing ahead, you know, they, that he's now pointing them to, you know, that this that they need to, and I, and I like how he puts, we'll do well to pay attention <laughs> as a lamp shining in a dark place. And and so the scripture becomes that for all who finally uh, embrace the words that is written, but also from the eyewitnesses and those uh, who have heard that and passed that along. Uh, we know that you know, a lot can be lost in oral uh, sharing and, and, and storytelling and so forth, but um, it was going to be this word. I, and I think that's why he puts so much emphasis on, well, I don't think, you know, we, we can see it right here, why he puts so much emphasis on this prophetic word in the sense, and, and when he says that, it's not, just like I said, it's just not just what's going ahead, although that's 
where he is starting to, you know, to push us, I think, whenever we hear these words, even though it goes back to the time when Jesus was baptized, it's also pointing ahead, too, and all that's coming through Christ Jesus as well. So, yeah, and, and he, just then, then we get to the two big, powerful uh, verses, verses 20 and 21, about this prophecy. Well, even before that, I just want to touch on a couple of things. First of all, of course, it seems sort of obvious, but he's evoking uh, Psalm 119 in that lamp shining in a dark place, right? Your yes, word is yes. a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light to my path. And I don't want to pit uh, Paul against Peter or, or anything like that, but then he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises, I can't help but head to uh, 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul writes, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness from Genesis— has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I just love right. how Paul and Peter, I know that it's obvious because they are both inspired by the same Lord and they both and the same spirit, but still it's just it's just wonderful when we see that this is like the language of the early church. This is how they talked. Um, but mm-hmm. Peter here is getting a little apocalyptic, is he not, right? Because the day dawns, the morning star mm-hmm. rising, that's Jesus' return, right? Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, he's, point, he's pointing us uh, to the future prophecy of when he's going to appear in all his glory. And I think another, another you know, as you were talking about all of that, I think another thing that we need to remember is uh, Christ's, uh, own self-identity in the in the Gospel of John, you know, whenever he says, I am the light of the world. And when we think of promises that, that Christ made to his disciples and, and to us even as disciples, that, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age, uh, you know, um, I will not forsake you. Uh, I will, you know, that he promises his presence to be with us, and he's present in his word. It's a, That is the light, and that's the light that we're to share as well, the light of of what we now have here in the promises of God, but as you, as you said, you know the the, the light that's coming in uh, in all its glory. Um, you know this whole idea of the morning star. Uh, John also has referred to uh, Christ, I believe, in Revelation, uh, that we have this morning star in Christ Jesus, the one who will come uh, at the time uh, for resurrection for the last day. All of that uh, wrapped up here, I think, in the in the whole of the pro- prophetic word. Yeah, and I believe that we have here Peter doing sort of a now but not yet, also, right? So you know, these of course Jesus is prophetic. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, proverbially in your hearts now, but right. there is not. There's sort of a completion of that coming, um, and then of course yeah. that flows into remember though this prophecy. Right, this prophecy of Scripture doesn't come from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. One of the clearest places in Scripture that we get even a little insight into kind of how the Holy Spirit did it. Now, it doesn't tell us much, but it tells us they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, exactly what that means, we don't know in terms of what it looked like or was experienced like, but it certainly reassures us that that this is prophecy. It's spoken by God. You know, whether it was dreams or audible, uh, audible uh, or visual kind of revelations, 
But the point is not the how, but the from whom, and that, of course, is God. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, and then, it, you know, it's also revealed in those last uh, couple verses, too, you know, you know, where does the prophecy come from? How, does, how do we know, really, in a sense, that it can even be true? Um, but, you know, for it to say that there was never any prophecy given, regardless if it's in the Old Testament, New Testament, as the, as the men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that is all from God. And, and that's what's reassuring for all of us, is that we know that when we read these words, uh, either here in Second Peter or wherever within the Old and New Testament, we know uh, from what Peter is sharing with us, again, being moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to write these words so that we understand them and know them, because that's what he's talking about here, knowing this first of all, knowing this, and then he tells us that it, it all comes uh, not by any man's interpretation, but uh, those who have been, like you said, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Whatever that looks like, I, I agree. Right. Yeah, I don't. You know, what does that picture uh, well, look like? Actually, let's talk about interpretation real quick because he's building up, of course, to contrast this truth and their true message to those of the false prophets and false prophets. Um, some are on purpose, <laughs> false teachers, false prophets. Some do it maliciously. Some do it accidentally. Um, they get that designation, of course, though, when they don't heed uh, correction. But knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, that certainly is true. But, boy, interpreting the Bible has certainly marred up a lot of good teaching and created a lot of false prophets by people interpreting the Scripture wrongly. Um, talking about that just a little bit, maybe it's a good time, and I don't think I've done it since I've been on the show over the past year, maybe it's a good time to explain to folks kind of how we interpret the Bible. Because I believe that we cannot approach the Bible oh, purely objectively. There's just no way we as human beings are able to take the Bible and just say, I'm going to be completely objective. Um, so we have this, what we call the grammatical historical method. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that for folks as we come to the close sure. of the show. Sure. I mean, I, I, this, is, this is something I commonly talk about in our Belong class, which is really our Lutheran instruction class. Those are uh, interested in becoming uh, a part of, of our faith in Christianity. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I tell them that this, this is really causing a lot of heartache in our world today within Christian denominations, is the approach to the Scripture you know, I said that that is so important. How do we approach Scripture? Do we truly approach the Scripture as though each and every word was God-given for these men that wrote the the, the words? Um, do you believe that to be absolutely true? Is it is it without any error? And we're talking about error in the sense of uh, not writing down properly and using grammatical, you know, uh, marks and so forth, but. Are the words that God has given us absolutely true for us, or do we approach the the Bible like any other book? You know, you know, do you do you approach it as though you're going to make the determination of what you're going to believe or what you think may be true or what what seems to be true on the basis of my human intellect trying to figure it out? And uh, so there, there is a different approach. And you were talking about the historical grammatical approach. And when we do that, we are approaching the Bible as though it is 100% God's Word, not mine, 
And God's Word takes priority, and he, he is the Lord, so He's going to lord over what I'm reading so that I uh, hopefully can understand it and not have my sinful flesh get in the way of all of what He's trying to bring to me that's absolutely holy and pure and, and so forth. He said, but if you approach it in a manner where you don't approach it uh, as God's very Word, uh, then and you start to make determinations as to what you believe is probably from God, what doesn't make sense, you know, this is contradictory, and I make all these decisions from a human heart about what's truly maybe what God wants us to have and what he doesn't want. You know, I become a Lord over his word, and, and, and God is not in the right position there in my life or in giving me his word, because it's his word that reigns supreme, not mine. And so, yeah, we have, I, I definitely have that conversation with people because right. people do come out of traditions that believe that somehow portions of the Scripture are not even applicable to us today. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, we, 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 you know, because we lord it over and make those determinations. You know, it's like, who, who are you going to believe? <laughs> because uh, the, the truth of the matter is this is God's absolute truth given to us, and we don't even question it. I was going to say, even though um, you, you have false prophets, which we're going to talk about tomorrow at length, uh, mm-hmm. who are purposely taking things out of the Bible or misconstruing them, I think some practices we do inadvertently cause us to do that. Just once again, kind of reaching back into my childhood, some of the churches I went to, Bible study consisted of the pastor would read the verse, and then we you would go around the table. Well, what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to you? It would get all the way back to the pastor, and then he would just go to the next verse. <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> that's not very useful, you know, because what it means to us may not be what it really means. But folks, you don't want to be a false teacher. You want to try to keep your human sinful nature, as our guest said. Um, the thing to do is, uh, even if you don't want to fully understand grammatical, historical you know, hermeneutics, keep Jesus as the focus. It's about Jesus. Um, and I think that's a, a good first step. Yeah, I well, think brother, another I think another I think another yeah. approach is let scripture interpret itself. Don't try to be the interpreter of scripture from your heart. Yeah, if you if you're confused by something Peter says, like be sure to confirm your own election. Well, look where else Peter has talked, you know? Let's look at it mm-hmm. in context. Let the Scripture exactly. interpret the Scripture. Well, brother, we're at the end of the program. I'd like to thank my guest this morning. He's the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Brother, thanks for being on the show, and welcome back. It's always a pleasure, and it's a, it's a joy. Thank you. Folks, tomorrow, as we've mentioned a couple times, we take up Chapter 2, and St. Peter is going to focus on those false teachers. False teachers, false prophets, they're a serious threat to the Christian faith. They twist the scriptures, they deny the Lord Jesus, and they lead so many astray, even people who desire to be good Christians. So in this chapter, Peter exposes their evil motives and their wicked practices, but he also shows how God protects his people from their deception and how he delivers them from the destruction of false teaching. That's something we all need to pay attention to, so I hope you're here tomorrow for that. Well, until then, though... I pray God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.